I think unless we are sitting on a nice comfy couch, fire going, blanket pulled up, good book, looking outside as the hard rain comes down, I think unless we are right there, for most of us, rain is a pain. We struggle with it. We, we view rain as gloomy and, and we use it in terms of, I'm saving up for a rainy day, for a hard day. And for those of us, as we go outside and we, we get ready to go to work in the morning and we step out and the rain is coming down and it, it splashes upon our clothes and, and messes up our hair that I'd been working on all morning, and it just really is a struggle. That gets on your glasses, for those of us who have glasses, and we just can't see and we can never get them quite cleared up. <clears throat> as we hop in our cars, we realize very quickly that our windshield wipers don't work quite like they should. Our gutters need repair, and so you think of all of the repair work that you have to do. I grew up in Half Moon Bay, California, a little beach house. Shingled, wood shingled roofs. And so rain for me, my memory of rain, is often our house filled with metal pots all throughout the house, catching the droplets of rain coming through our roof. And my dad speaking in some unknown language in the back <laughs> about the rain. Rain can be a struggle for us as it comes down. It is hard for us as it seems to get in the way. It makes things difficult often. And I know of myself, and I think of all of us in our flesh, we very quickly go to complaining about the rain. We very quickly go to, to, to crying out and what a mess this is. We so easily fall into that area. And I know of myself that what I need to do sometimes is to clear off my glasses a little bit, step outside of the situation, and see God's rain coming down, have a different perspective of the day, like we saw with Gene Kelly. As people are covered in their newspapers, he's rejoicing in the rain. And have a perspective that maybe we need the rain. Maybe the rain is what nourishes our souls as we depend on God. I think what is true, and this morning as we look at life, I think one of the things that's so real about us is that we are big complainers. Can we just raise our hands and say, I am a whiner. I'm a big whiner. I whine all the time. Some of you are going two hands. I understand. Double whiner. There you go. <laughs> you know, it just, again, it becomes an addiction for us almost. And we just get up and we complain and we get really good at it. Sometimes I think it's my spiritual gift. <laughs> And we enter into our Christian Complainers Club, and we, we live by the motto, Why worship when we can whine? And we enter in so easily. And yet at the same time, we are followers of Jesus Christ. At the same time, the Holy Spirit and His Word 
is doing a good work on us. Which is, I call you to be my follower. I call you to do all things, to live all life without complaining or grumbling. And if you love me, you obey what I command. If you're a follower of me, you allow the Holy Spirit to enter in, and instead of so easily going into complaint, we go, Lord, help me to worship you here in this heavy rain, in this desert, in this hard time. We too quickly go into embracing a complaining spirit, a bad yeast that takes over, and we fall into whining instead of worship. And so this morning we need to get a new perspective. And I want us to take a look at as God is leading his people through the desert, how he taught and engaged with and led his people so that they might know how to sing in the rain. Exodus 16, starting in verse 1. And they set out from Elim, and all of the congregation and the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and the Sinai. And on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died at the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we had sat by pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Let me share with you this journey Again, they've been on this journey with the Lord, as Steve brought up last week, and, and they have crossed over the Red Sea, a, an incredible miracle of God that all throughout scriptures is mentioned over and over again, just the, the awesomeness of God, His control and His leading of His people. And He brings them across, and they, they start to come down the east side of the Red Sea into Mara, and now they're into Elim, and then God is going to continue to lead them south towards Sinai. And so it starts out with, he says, they started the journey in Elim, which means in the palms, in the, in the shade. This is a real place in the desert, which they believe is the place in which the Israelites rested. There is an oasis there. And so they rested and, and they were given drink in this shade as God had delivered them and brought them out of the land of Egypt and brings them to an oasis, and they rest there. And yet after they rest and are given their drink, God says, I'm leading you out. It is God who is taking his people out of the oasis. And he brings them into the desert of sin, into rocks, and wilderness, and heat, and mountainous areas, and hardship. It literally means, it means thorny place. It means place of marsh and, and clay. 
a place which will be difficult, a journey which will be a challenge to the soul. And he leads them there. I don't want you to miss that it is God who leads them out. I don't want you to miss that it is God who brought them into Mara, and there they complained about the bitter water, and yet what did God do? He blessed them with sweet water, and he gave them drink, a foreshadowing of the one who says to the woman at the well, If you would come and drink of me, you shall never thirst. I am like a bubbling brook that keeps on coming and overflowing, and I'll fill your life. Oasis. Don't miss that God brings us to Oasis. But don't miss that now God gets his people up, and he takes them into the desert, and he takes them through the journey of the desert, and he will provide again for them. We will see bread raining down from heaven, a significant theme in this chapter, leading us to the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And the Israelites set out again, they're just refreshed, and they move into sin. And I think it's appropriate what it's named. And as they begin the journey, they're stepping and moving into the desert, but they find their way very quickly into the marshy area, the clay soil. And I think they step full force into it, and they are stuck in the sin of complaint. In the sin of complaint that is starting to develop this bitter, bitter root that is going deep. And this root has a wrap around their neck, and even when God is trying to to lead them up to look at him, they're trying to lift their heads, and they cannot. The sin of complaint has controlled and taken over their life. And even though God is trying to show them himself, they can't even lift their heads to see. That's what complaint, grumbling, this attitude of discontent starts to do in our lives. Now look what it says very clearly. The whole congregation, as one voice, speaks out against Moses and Aaron. It's not just a few are having a hard day. It is, it is two million strong coming forth and saying, whoa, that would be better that we had died. It's like this tornado that started to take off and build up and started to spin more and more and it's sucking up one Israelite at a time and it's getting bigger and bigger and it's weaving its destruction and it's going and it's going and, and in a matter of quick time the whole congregation is in the spirit of discontent and complaining and grumbling. Oh, it just takes over. It just takes over. And the whole nation, the whole nation has lost trust in God who has been leading them. And they have been caught up in complaining. They're supposed to leave this yeast back in Egypt. And they brought it along with them. And it permeated out. And they cried out against their leaders. And you see what's happening? Everything is getting hard again. We are caught up in complaint. And we cry out against Moses and Aaron. 
And Moses and Aaron are going to be quick to say, why is it that you cry out against us? What does this have to do with us? You are angry at God for what is going on. You are angry at the Lord for how things have turned out. And you lay it upon us. And we do that so often, don't we? When things get difficult in the body, when things get hard in life, I know I do. I so easily look for someone to blame. I usually blame Jackson. He's a good person to blame. (laughs) Things didn't turn out here at this church exactly like I had thought. I've been here 16 years now. I had a different vision for maybe the way things would go. And so my first reaction is to look to other people to complain at. And the truth is, I'm, I'm angry with God sometimes. Going, God, I don't get this. What are you doing with us? What are you doing with me personally? What's happening here? And our complaining again is lashes out, and we all get caught up in it. You know what even happens? Again, our flesh is so much into this. We won't even necessarily start the complaint. But a friend of ours will come, and you'll say, hey, how you doing? And they may bring up something that they're struggling with, and it starts to become a complaint. And you know what we typically do? We go, yeah, I agree. You know what? Yeah, I understand. I'm there too. And then we look for two more friends to bring into our our mix, our grumbling party. We do that, don't we? We want to figure out a way to get back at, get even, stir up the pot. Our flesh just feeds on it. And this has taken over the whole nation of Israel. You know what, dear church, I think one of the things we need to ask of ourselves, Cole Community Church, how are we doing? Truly, how are we doing? Has this tornado started to spin? Is it gathering you up in its massive wave of destruction? Are you easily, like me, falling into tagging along? And instead of going, God, help me stop. God, forgive me for crying out and complaining against you. We just embrace it. How are we doing? I think we have to take a look at ourselves, all of us, you and me both. You know, again, as a leader, I struggle in that sometimes. I'm just like, oh, I just want to gripe. I just want to gripe. I need someone to do it with. I guess I just want to encourage all of us together, as that tornado comes our way, that we would be the ones to say, you know what, I hear you. But God is asking us to put that at his feet that God is asking us to lay this at his feet and say, Lord, help me to trust you in the middle of things that aren't going quite like I thought they were. That I be obedient to your word that says, do not grumble against one another. And Lord, that you would help us to stop looking inward at number one, 
that you would break that bond of that bitter root that's just keeping us looking down and that you would help us to look up and actually see what you are doing. What are you doing in this church, God? What are you doing in my life that I need an area to be refined in? It's hard to sing in the rain when we're caught up in complaint. It's hard to rejoice in the Lord when we, we just say, I'm just going to continue to stay in this mud. Everything again gets tainted. Our eyes get dirty. We get spun around. And so as God tries to move us into a place of worship, as God tries to move us into a place where He is leading us, one of the ways that we can learn to embrace Him and, and actually sing in the rain is by literally stepping out and taking a reality check. Do you know what I mean? That you just need to stop sometimes and go, what's really going on around me? Do you understand what the Israelites are doing? They're going, oh, this is so terrible now. It's so bad indeed that death would have been better at the hand of God. And this is what happens in in the struggle in the struggle in the desert, we, we have selective memory. We actually even develop false memory. The older I get, the better I was. It's amazing what we remember. But unfortunately, the emotion... And man, we are, we are rolled up into emotion, aren't we? We are emotional beings. God's created us that way. But the emotion and the struggle of the day blurs our vision. Oh, don't you remember when we sat by the pots full of meat, overflowing, and we just sat there fat and happy, and it was just good. Don't you remember those days? As we enjoyed around the table. It's false memory. It's not true. And the emotion of the moment gets them stirred up into thinking things that aren't true. You know, it's interesting to me, we talk often about golden days. Oh, the golden days. But I would really like to know when those were. I would love to be part of them. I'm not sure they exist. I'm amazed, you know, over the years, I've been raised up in the church my whole life. I was at Peninsula Bible Church with probably just some just really great saints who kind of world-renowned some of them. And they used to be talking about this time, and I was, I was alive, but this body lifetime when, when, when just thousands of college students came and there was a great revival and, and they were just doing a great ministry. And that was the golden days of Peninsula Bible Church. And you know what it was? It was there were some really great things. I mean, people were coming to Christ all over the place. It was awesome. Yet at the same time, the older saints in the congregation were going, well, what about us? All the focus has gone on to the younger generation, and, and, and what about us? Oh, we don't remember that, though. Let's just go to the golden days when everything was perfect and, and happy. And, and if we could just get back there. You know, again, living in church life, which many of you have for many years, I don't know about you, but... Church life is, is family life, which is there are good seasons. 
there are good seasons of ministry and life and God doing His work in ways that, that we can really see. But I've been in the body of Christ for a long time, and, and I go, yeah, absolutely, and at the same time, Man, there is just challenge and heartache and pain and suffering, and they all seem to kind of coincide with each other. And yet all we want to try to go to is, oh, but the good days. We need to step out and go, what's real? Real is that God has called us into fellowship. He actually says, don't forsake the gathering. He also says, you need each other. He also says, love one another. He says, stop grumbling against each other. May they know we are Christians by our love for one another. We need to step out of the whirlwind of emotion in our marriages that we have these incredibly difficult days and, and we just get so frustrated with our spouse and it's just like, why did I ever get married in the first place? You go, Lord, help me step out. What's the reality? The reality is I love my wife. The reality is she loves me. The reality is we're choosing to sin against each other right now. The other reality as a follower of Jesus Christ is that I have covenanted before the Lord to say I am committed to you, wife, for the rest of my life. We shall have life together. I will not divorce you. I will not leave you. Because I love God, and because I know God will work in my marriage, even in this day, which is a whirlwind, and I'm not going to let emotion base my decisions. We need a reality check sometimes. And through the power of the Spirit, you need to step back and go, whoa, the enemy has gotten a hold. And Lord, help me to see... Help me to see that what I am thinking is false, that the enemy is getting a hold of me. Oh, we're starving to death. Did we forget Exodus 12 that said they took the whole plunder and all of the droves of goats and sheep and cattle? And Hey, guess what? They had plenty of food. Throw a couple goats on the fire, you have a little snack, you're not starving to death. Do you know what I mean? But isn't it amazing? Oh, look at you left us here to starve us to death. False memory. Did we forget that God is with us in the middle of our situation? Did we forget that He is leading us? Have we forgotten, like Colossians reminds us, brothers and sisters, that God is the head of this church? That God is the one who is the forerunner that God is the one who is leading this church. That God is the one who loves this bride of his more than I ever could or you could. Have we forgotten? That's the reality. And we need to take a look at it so that we might rejoice the fact that God is still in control. And we need to step back and we need to recognize all that he's doing. We need to go, God, free me from this binding. I'm stuck in the mud. I want to look up and see what you are doing. And here's what God does, verse 4. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and for the people, and they shall go out and they will gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. 
And on the sixth day, when they are prepared to prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And so Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. For he has heard your complaint and your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we again that you grumble against us? Why do you keep bringing this on us? You're angry at the Lord. And Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. How does God react? To this kick in the gut. To this slap in the face. Because that's really what it is, isn't it? You're not doing, for me, God, what I expect you to do. How dare you, God, to take us to this place? And so what does God do? He pours out grace. Rain from heaven I will give you. I pour out my grace upon you. I hear you. I hear your grumbling. Take it to me and me alone. And I don't dismiss your grumbling. I pour out grace. This is the God we serve. This is our Lord. Like the prodigal father as his son said, Give me my inheritance. Basically saying, I wish you were dead. And as he comes back in, he envelops him and he embraces him. And the Greek's really clear. He kisses him over and over and over again. Even though he just kicked him in the gut. I wish you were dead. This is our God. This is our Jesus who loves us even though we kick against him so hard. He lavishes upon us his love, his grace. And when we recognize the grace, then this is when we become thankful. And we say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you've even given me life. I am a wretched sinner who kicks against you often. Thank you, God, that you are so patient with us. And do you see his patience? He understands this is a birth of a nation. He understands his people are learning to walk, just like you and me. As our little children learn to take steps, and they fall and they cry out, do we go, get up! No. We help them learn to stand. We embrace them, we kiss them, and we say, come walk. That's as an earthly father. How much more a heavenly one. And he's taking his time with them, just like he does with you and me. I am patient. I am long-suffering. I am teaching you. And I will provide for you that you will know very clearly that all of this comes from me. All of this. You will see very clearly as I rain down from heaven. All of this comes from me. You will know that it was the Lord your God. And you will see who he is. And as we 
follow the fire as we follow the Lord. One of the things that God is doing in our midst is that he wants to change our perspective of the rain so that we might actually worship him. Isn't it amazing? In his grace, God rains down heaven from heaven bread. And at the same time, in God's grace, he tests us. He tests us. Still full of grace. He draws us near. He changes our understanding, our focus. You see, we have a poor understanding, I believe, of the rain. We have a poor understanding of the desert, of the struggle, of the test, and of the role that God has in all of this. Just like Tevia. Do you remember Tevia, fiddler on the roof? He had a poor understanding of God. Let's see. Dear God, was that necessary? <laughs> Did you have to make him lame just before the Sabbath? <sighs> that was nice. It's enough you pick on me. Bless me with five daughters, a life of poverty. That's all right. But what have you got against my horse? Really, sometimes I think, when things are too quiet up there, you say to yourself, let's see, what kind of mischief can I play on my friend Tevier? Aha! So you're finally here, my breadwinner. I'll talk to you later. So why are you late today? His foot went lame. Well, hurry up. The sun won't wait. And I have something important to say to you. Still have some deliveries in the village. You'll be late for the Sabbath. I won't be late. You'll be late. I won't be late. I won't be late. If you ever stop talking, I won't be late. You can die from such a man. As the good book says, heal us, O Lord, and we shall be healed. In other words, send us the cure. We've got the sickness already. Well, I'm not really complaining. After all, with your help. Yeah. I'm starving to death. Oh, dear Lord. You made many, many poor people. I realize, of course, it's no shame to be poor. But it's no great honor either. Uh, so what would have been so terrible if I had the small fortune? And then it goes into, if I was a rich man, I love this movie. You're picking on me, God. Look at what you've done and why my horse and all that you're doing, you're playing tricks on me. At least he said, my good friend, he understood that. And if only I had a little money, things would be better, not the struggle. And later on in the film... Tevye goes, I know we're the chosen people. But couldn't you have chosen someone else? 
And the answer is no. I couldn't have chosen anyone else. I choose you. I choose you, my beloved children. I choose you, my son, my daughter. I choose you to lead you into the desert. I choose you to share in the sufferings of Christ. I choose you that you might know me. And so the answer is no, I cannot choose somebody else. God makes us and leads us to face the wilderness. And Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation and the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord. That means come and worship. For he has heard your grumblings. And it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel. They looked toward the wilderness. And it was there, behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. It is God who has them face the wilderness, not Egypt, and what they thought was the good life. He spins them around and gives them a different perspective. He leads us and leads us out of Elim, the oasis, into the desert. Because temporary happiness at the oasis is not our final destination. We are on a destination and a journey towards the mountain of God. We are on a fast track, hopefully, to look more and more like His Son. He who began the good work, guess what? The promise is He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This work will continue. And he's making us more and more like his son. And that is good. And that's why the saints could cry out, consider it a sheer gift. Consider it pure joy, my friends. You, you can actually sing in the rain when the tests and the challenges come at you from all sides. For you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. This is why the book of Philippians, considered the book of joy, could be written from a prison cell. Because the thinking was, God, you are doing your work on me. I am looking more like your son the rain is not a bad thing. The rain is an opportunity to see you. And instead of facing back towards Egypt, he has them look in the wilderness. And the wilderness forces us to have an encounter with the living God. It is in the wilderness that we see the glory of God. In this ever-present, he is ever-present in this vast wasteland. And you know what, you guys? It is not optional. It is not optional for us. This is the work that God is doing with us. He takes us, and as he looks at his beloved son, he breaks open the clouds and says, I absolutely adore you, my beloved one. I am well pleased. And then he thrusts him, where? Into the wilderness. We 
cannot think that we will not do the same as followers of Jesus Christ. And that is actually the place he wants us to be. Our thinking needs to shift from my whole life is an oasis with a little bit of desert to most of our lives are God leading us in the desert because his greatest work is done there. And he does provide oasis. And you understand what he does? He moves us in. And as we face it, we have a choice. We have a choice to either whine or we have a choice to worship. And so God in his love and his grace, he says, I'm leading you out. And right there, they see the glory of God. And do you know what happens next? He brings from heaven quail and he rains down from the skies manna. One month, one month right after they had celebrated Passover feast. Do you get it? You will see. You will know that I am Lord. I am setting out this banquet table before you. Guess where? In the desert of manna and quail. And you will celebrate Passover. You will remember that I brought you out of Egypt. And so when the Israelites receive this manna from heaven and they look and they pick it up and they go, Manha! What is this? And the answer is, this is the rain, the bread of heaven from God. He is the one who will fill you full to the brim. Amen? Amen.